welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We are in um, this series, and we're actually nearing the end of the series, What's on Your Mind, throughout this summer, where we have been featuring different um, uh, speakers from our very own congregation. And I have the distinct pleasure of being able to introduce our next speaker, Dee Bright has been a Bible study teacher, a small group leader, and a ministry speaker. She's a published author and still writes profusely, although she says it's mostly for her own amusement. She's a grandmother of five, a seeker of God's right-side-up life, and has been attending Oak Hills for over three years. Please welcome Dee Bright. Well, good morning, all. Well, that was nice. Nice response. <laughs> Beats the silence you sometimes get. So that's great. Well, I'm both honored and delighted to share some of my thoughts with you this morning about what's on my mind. The trick is, when you ask me that question, it's kind of like taking the lid off a big box of jackrabbits. And it has taken me like almost two months to figure out what I want to speak on. So, But I finally narrowed it down. I'd like to begin by inviting God into our time together, so let's pray. Loving Abba, beloved Jesus, and delightful Spirit, quiet our minds and hearts as we turn our thoughts to you. We know you're already in our presence, and we invite you to participate as we fellowship together. Open our eyes to all you have for us today and draw us closer to yourself. Lord, guide my words as I speak so that they are right and true, and that they're encouraging, and most of all, that they're glorifying to you. We love you, and we lift up this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever read a rather ordinary passage of Scripture, although none of it's ordinary, but you know what I mean. It's things we've read before, they're very familiar to to us, and then you have a word or a passage just leap off the page at you, Well, that happened to me not too long ago, and actually, that actually helped frame what I wanted to share with about this morning. Most of us are familiar with the stories in the gospel where Jesus is out basically recruiting his future disciples, uh, and he does that by saying, in most cases, follow me. Recently, in the book of John, I ran across a different phrase, and for some reason, it grabbed my imagination. Suddenly, his simple words took on new meaning. And I began to envision what they would mean, first for the disciples that that Jesus was inviting on his journey, but then for our journey with him today and now. This particular piece of scripture is found in John 1, verses 25 to 39. So if you have your Bibles or want to follow on the app, that would be great. And let's stand as we read it. The next day, John, the baptizer, was standing with two of his followers, Jesus walked by. When John saw him, he said, Look, see God's lamb. Two followers heard what John said, so they went after Jesus. Jesus turned. He saw them coming after him, and he said to them, What are you looking for? They said, Teacher, where do you live? Jesus said, Come and see. Come and see. These are the words of the Lord. You may be seated. 
So these three words are the words that fired up my imagination. Come and see. They make the invitation sound intriguing and mysterious. But before we get to that, there's a lot of interesting information buried in this passage. So I just want to do a quick bullet point summary. John the Baptist had followers of his own, but he knew his job was to point people to Jesus. So he didn't let his ego get in the way. And when he had seen, when he saw Jesus, he pointed him out to his, his followers. He had earlier testified that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So these men would have known that they were going after the Messiah. Two of his followers, Andrew and then probably John, the John who wrote the book of John, began following Jesus. When Jesus saw them, he asked an insightful question. What are you looking for? We could probably do a whole sermon just on that little phrase. What are you looking for? We're not going to, though. We have no way of knowing why they ignored his question and simply asked where he lived. But when Jesus said, come and see, he actually addressed both questions. First, the practical, come and see where I'm staying. And then the second, deeper and more personal question, come and see what you're really seeking, what you're really looking for. These are the words that invited Andrew and John into ministry with Jesus, and they did not hesitate. They didn't say, no thanks, I've got to go shine my sandals, or maybe I'll tag along for a while and see how it goes. They were all in. Now, as Jewish men, they understood what an honor it was to be asked to follow a rabbi. And they also understood the enormous commitment that that entailed. That meant actually living with the rabbi, walking with him, study, listen, and learn from him, and ultimately become like him. So one day they might become the teacher. So they left what they were doing, and they went with him. Theirs was really a bungee jump commitment. They didn't hesitate. They made the leap. Come and see. I have a vivid imagination, so I can almost see a slightly mischievous look on Jesus' face. He knew all about the adventure ahead and what would be involved, but these new disciples had no idea what was in store for them. Jesus was inviting them into a life beyond their imagination. They would be joining a little band of men that would become a community with all their individual quirks and personalities, much like our church. And the community would grow to include others. Together, they would experience the unexpected. They'd be called to do and risk more than they ever thought possible. And they would witness firsthand an unimaginable kind of love. There would be highs and lows and in-betweens, but what an adventure experiencing life uh, and in a new and extraordinary way, all with Jesus. I want a life like that. So what's on my mind these days is Jesus' invitation to a come-and-see life with him. He offered it to the disciples, and he offers it to us right here and now. So let's take a look at just some of what he's inviting us to do. He's inviting us to come with him and embrace the unexpected, not just tolerate it, not just ignore it, not just deal with it, but learn to embrace it. So much about Jesus was totally unexpected, even by these men who would have known the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. He was a rabbi who disagreed with, even, uh, disagreed with and even admonished the religious leaders. And we know that didn't go over well. He looked at cultural values completely upside down, just as he asks us to do today. 
He mingled and hung out with the outcasts of his day, ignoring the social rules and norms. And he was a messiah of peace, and he was lord of an eternal kingdom, not the expected military leader that uh, they expected would overthrow Israel's earthly oppressors. Journeying with Jesus must have been a bit bewildering at times. Think about it. I'm fairly certain the disciples could never be sure where they were going, what they were doing next, or even where they'd be laying their head at night. But they followed him in their unknowns, trusting him for whatever happened. I love that, and I want to be more like that. Can you imagine, for example, the unexpected surprise and astonishment at seeing an actual miracle? Now, we read about them in the Bible, so they might seem kind of commonplace. Oh, yeah, Jesus did a ton of miracles. But imagine being there with this guy who you know is a teacher, a rabbi, and you're going to learn from him. You're going to learn more about the Torah and learn more about the Jewish life and all of that. But suddenly, this guy is doing miracles. So first, you're watching wine at a wedding or water at a wedding turn into wine. You're watching a leper's sores heal up and disappear before your very eyes. You're witnessing a blind man seeing for the very first time in his life and witnessing his amazement and gratitude. And you're watching Peter walk on water. And of course, there were many, many more miracles. But I'm guessing that exceeded any expectations the disciples had when they first committed to following this special rabbi. And of course, things weren't always positive and exciting for them. There were difficulties and disappointments as well. And we're very familiar with those. That's just like there are for us. Let me ask you, what's your reaction when the unexpected happens and your plans or desires get turned upside down? When things happen that you don't want to happen? The human reaction, at least initially, is typically some kind of strong emotion. Anger, disappointment, shock, sometimes even fear. I had an unwanted experience like that five years ago when I was trekking the Camino de Santiago. I know a number of you here at Oak Hills have done this challenging trek. Kudos to you. If you haven't heard about it, it's a 500-mile, month-long journey through the countrysides of northern Spain. And I had decided to do this alone. Well, while I certainly hope to be successful in this ambitious 500-mile walk, my heart's desire was to make it a journey with Jesus. I pictured long hours alone with him as we walked through meadows and woodlands and explored the many small villages along the way. I pictured us meeting and enjoying other pilgrims and engaging with the local culture and cuisine. For the first week and a half, that was my journey. For eight lovely days, I traipsed across the first 100 miles of the centuries-old path. Idyllic days with Jesus unfolded. There was laughter and delightful fellowship with new friends. I spent nights in sometimes crowded, sometimes noisy, but always interesting albergues or pilgrim hostels. And every morning, I looked forward to a new and exciting adventure. But then abruptly, that all changed. After 36 hours of misery and several medical clinic visits, hoping my ailment would go away, I ended up in the hospital in Logroño, diagnosed with an intestinal obstruction. Not fun. I remained there for 16 days. I was alone, and I didn't speak Spanish. After 16 days, I was finally medevaced home, by the way. This was not the Camino I had planned. 
Jesus had a very different and unexpected vision for our journey than I did. I'm guessing the disciples sometimes felt that way as well. For me, instead of roaming the Spanish countryside with him, I was walking hospital halls. Instead of feasting on delectable local food, I was sipping a liquid diet. This is not easy for a foodie. I still remember them having the food carts in the hall. I would go out and sniff them just because I was so hungry. (laughs) Instead of the companionship of Camino pilgrims, I was making friends with hospital staff and other patients. And my new sterile bedroom looked very different than the bustling and fascinating albergues. Yep, that was the unexpected. But there was laughter, too, mostly because of my poor Spanish. Like when I was trying to say I was embarrassed, but I was actually saying I was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) You should see the strange looks I got from the doctor. (laughs) But here's the surprising thing, and I can't explain it. Even with all the unknowns and the physical and emotional difficulties, I never experienced a moment of fear. It was really strange. I mean, literally no fear. There was frustration and a bit of dread with the recurring discussion about possible surgery, but no fear. You know that gut feeling you get that just crawls down here? Instead, I just had a deep sense of peace. In fact, I felt joyful. Well, most of the time anyway. And that was pretty remarkable given the circumstances. It had to be him, all him, because it certainly wasn't me. I love what Henry Nouwen says about unanticipated events like mine and many, many more. And here's what he says. It's a bit long, so bear with me. The great conversion in our life is to recognize and believe that the many unexpected events are not just disturbing interruptions in our projects, but in the way in which God molds our hearts and prepares us for his return. Our great temptations are boredom and bitterness, But when our good plans are interrupted by poor weather, our well-organized careers by illness or bad luck, our peace of mind by inner turmoil, our hope for peace by a new war, our desire for a stable government by a constant changing of the guards, and our desire for immortality by real death, we are tempted to give in to a paralyzing boredom or to strike back in destructive bitterness. But when we believe that patience can make our expectations grow, then fate can be converted into a vocation, wounds into a call for deeper understanding, and sadness into a birthplace for joy. This come and see journey with Jesus teaches us to expect and embrace the unexpected, the goods and the bads, knowing that either way, he's right there with us and he's using them for our good. That's not always easy, but as we've been singing about this morning, we worship a God that we can trust, and that means trusting him with everything that happens in our lives. We're also, on this come and see life, invited to live a life greater than our own. It's no ordinary life, this journey with Jesus. As we commit to be his disciple, there's no telling where he will take us. There will be ups and downs, sorrows and joys, but he is our constant companion. Sometimes just trusting him is the adventure. Life with Jesus can be like riding behind him on a tandem bicycle. And Jesus doesn't stay on the sidewalks. He likes to go off-road. Sometimes we just have to close our eyes and cling to him for dear life. Years ago, my friend Melanie told me that as a teenager, she ran from God. 
Her greatest fear was that if she became a Christian, God would force her to become a missionary and send her to Africa. Well, guess where she is now? She's in Mozambique. She's, yeah, she's with her husband and two children, and they are all serving as missionaries. And she has never been happier. In fact, she got stranded here during COVID. She and her two, well, all four of them, they have two boys. And they were just agonizing to get back home to Mozambique. And they're back there again now. She's living a larger life and taking more risks than she ever dreamed she would. And she's loving it. And this was because of her willingness to adventure with God. She and her husband have now established two much-needed orphanages in the area, and they're living for something much greater than themselves, just as God designed all of us to do. And we don't have to go to Africa to do it. My neighbor and walking partner, June, has a habit of taking fresh flowers or veggies from her garden to friends and neighbors, at times popping in for a brief chat, if you have a moment. She's learned to arrange her world so she's available. That frees her to share her time and her life with others in a simple, loving, and impactful way. She doesn't realize it, but she challenges me in the best way possible. Why do I feel I don't have time to do thoughtful things like that? Why am I so occupied with other things that there's no room to brighten someone else's day? Now, this isn't about feeling guilty. It's about examining what I'm allowing to limit me keeping me from thinking of others as much as I would like, or keeping me from being the kind of person I would love to be more often. It helps to, once in a while, lift my eyes above myself, my needs, and my desires to think about something greater. What would happen if we completely surrendered ourselves to God every day? Our hearts, minds, time, money, energy, and resources. I'm reminded of a quote by Dwight Moody. He says, The world has yet to see what God will do with a man or woman fully consecrated to him. I'm thinking if we did that, we might be opening ourselves up to that tandem bike sort of adventure. Does that sound risky? Maybe so, but no matter what we do in life, there's going to be risk. No matter what decisions we make, there's going to be risk. I love this quote from Helen Keller. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Isn't that a great way to look at it? Looking at the ups and downs of our life as an adventure. Like I said, risks can't be avoided. But when we risk with God, he stretches us and he grows us in ways we could never have planned. He's preparing us for something greater. Before I left for Spain, I had done my research thoroughly. Even with that, I was still pretty nervous about going alone and particularly about a number of things. First of all, my safety, uh, finding a bed each night because those albergues sometimes filled up and when you're exhausted and tired and you have to go look in another town for a bed, that's not very much fun, but mostly for not getting lost. So I prayed to depend solely on God for all of these things. I didn't pray to stay out of the hospital. But when I ended up there, I was forced to to trust God like never before. My go-to verse was, he will keep in perfect peace all who trust in him, whose thoughts are fixed on him. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. That became my foundational verse, and every time I felt even a quiver of anxiety, I would say that over and over and over. 
In fact, if I had a dollar for every time I recited that verse during those 16 days, I could buy Mike's season tickets for the Packers. <laughs> Plus airfare. And maybe even one of those cheese hat things. Wouldn't that be a picture? In his stretching of me, Jesus gave me a great sense of peace. I sensed him right there with me as I was laying in my bed and as I walked the halls. He helped me focus on reassuring those at home who were worried about me and not to dwell on my sometimes miserable circumstances. He enabled me to smile and be pleasant to those who cared for me, regardless of how I felt. I can assure you that wasn't me. I didn't and couldn't have done that on my own. I like the way Ephesians 3.20 explains it, and this is from the Message Translation. God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. And I suspect that's exactly what he was doing in me when I was there. My hospital stay was an experience of peace and his abiding presence like never before. And even though it was unexpected, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You would think we would learn from these profound life lessons once and for all, but no, at least not me. Oops. Just this past week, I felt overwhelmed with the number of things landing on my plate and the number of setbacks. It was a constant struggle to not get dragged down in fear and apprehension. But the good news is, when we stop to think about how God has rescued us in the past, it's easier to trust him in the present. So remembering my experiences in Spain was really helpful. It's true, my Camino journey didn't go as I envisioned or planned. My heart's desire had been to do the Camino trek as a journey with Jesus. Instead, he stretched my trust in him more than I would have imagined, and he did give me the desires of my heart, intimacy with him, which was what I was looking for all along. I'm sure he did the same, the same thing for his disciples. Look at what astonishing experiences they had with him. The ongoing, unfolding realization of who he actually was, God incarnate. Can you imagine? Because in the beginning, they may have known he was the Messiah, but remember, they weren't expecting this kind of Messiah. And so as they're beginning to realize this man is otherworldly, this man is so loving and kind and gentle and consistent, and slowly realizing he is actually the Son of God. They also were able to recognize their own divine transformation from ordinary fishermen to miracle workers themselves. And also, they knew their lives were being used for something far larger than themselves. In fact, for something eternal. Let's look at one more thing he's inviting us to come and see, and that is a new and different kind of love. Now, anytime we talk about God, I think we have to begin by acknowledging we can never know or understand the immensity of his being or the measure of his love for us. He is simply too inexhaustible, too eternal, too infinite for our mere human minds to comprehend. Trying to fathom all of who he is would be much like trying to grasp the magnitude of the entire ocean with its depth, breadth, reefs, tides, composition, and all the life teeming in it by studying a gallon jug of seawater. No matter how much of him we can see or understand or experience, that's only the water in the jug. There's so much more. 
And the same holds true for the magnitude of his love for us. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19 says it all. And this is one of my favorite verses. This is from the Living Bible translation. It says, I pray that Christ will be more and more in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is, and to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last you will be filled up with God himself. Did you catch that? We will never see the end of his love for us or fully know or understand it. Wow. Think about it. It's like trying to imagine the entirety of the solar system and knowing there's no end to it. And he's inviting us to experience being loved that much every day. Now, it's easy to make the mistake of thinking his love is just like ours, only more so. So, for example, if I really love someone, then God must really, really, really love that person. But his love goes beyond the kind of love we know. His love is different. We measure, define, and interpret love from our limited human perspective. However, even the best and richest forms of natural or human love pale in comparison to God's real love. Human love begins with broken people. So so no matter how noble or well-intentioned or sincere it may be, it's flawed. God's perfect love is different than ours. It's not influenced by good days and bad, mood swings, conditions for loving someone or not loving them, held grudges or circumstances. And he isn't motivated by ego or neediness or greed or power or anger or woundedness. He is pure love. So his love for us is pure, and it's unchanging. Can you imagine being with someone like that, living with someone like that? Well, the disciples did. With Jesus, they got to see God's love in the flesh, exemplified in ordinary, everyday life. As they roused themselves from sleep in the morning and tromped the hot, dusty roads during the day and repaired broken sandals, and ambled along rocky seashores and cooked fish over open fires, and while they talked and gazed at the heavens every night before falling asleep. I imagine the more time they spent with him, in good times and maybe especially in the bad and difficult times, the deeper their love and dependence on him grew. In Spain, I noticed and experienced a new and different kind of love from God. It was more personal, more intimate than ever before. Probably probably because, like the disciples, I grew so dependent on him. I was kind of like a child clinging to her mother's leg. You've seen kids do that when they're being shy, uh, when you're in a strange or scary circumstance. Only I was desperately clinging to Jesus. And the good news is, when we desperately cling to Jesus, he's clinging even tighter to us. Before the disciples met Jesus, they would have been knowledgeable about God, as he is described in the Old Testament. In their culture, they began their study of the Torah at age four and five. And by the time they finished what we might call elementary school, many kids had memorized the whole Torah in its entirety. Kind of makes me question my commitment to scripture memorization. But knowing the Bible doesn't translate into comprehending the scope and character of God's love for us and for others. 
With Jesus, the disciples saw God's love from the scriptures come alive. As his ministry began in earnest, the disciples witnessed his care and love and concern for people of every culture and ethnicity, even those shunned by the Jews. They saw how he extended love and healing to the social outcasts, the crippled, the lepers, the prostitutes, and the tax collectors. And for a man of his position, this was unheard of. And finally, they were there when he displayed the greatest love of all. He willingly endured the torture of the cross, and he laid down his life for them and for us. Jesus spoke these words, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. But as deeply, completely, and wondrously as God demonstrated his love for us, and as he loves us, there's even more. He doesn't, doesn't just love us. He actually delights in us. He delights in us. This took a long time for me to finally accept, I think. It was hard for me to realize that this magnificent God, this almighty creator, would delight in broken, frail me. But he does. Listen to Zephaniah. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. During the many years I've walked with Jesus, I've been a devoted follower, a wishy-washy churchgoer, a fence-sitter, a prodigal daughter, and more. And it never ceases to amaze me that his love for me never changes. A while back, I was sort of lamenting with God about how I mess up so often And this little phrase popped in my head, and I'm going to credit God with it. And I love it. I use it all the time. The phrase that came to my mind when I'm thinking about how much I mess up was, you delight in me in spite of me. Isn't that good? Catchy little phrase, huh? You delight in me in spite of me, regardless of where I am in my life, regardless of how I behave, regardless of the mistakes I make, the sins I commit, you still delight in me in spite of me. And it's true. This is just another way of seeing God's, how God is refreshingly different. And how should we respond to this lavish, unconditional, intimate, and sacrificial love? I'm thinking we should give up trying to live our lives our way and live them his way. That's the real adventure, the adventure of a lifetime. So this has been a glimpse into the come and see life with Jesus learning to embrace the unexpected and to trust him with the outcome, experience a life, experiencing a life far greater than our own, and thriving on a new and different kind of love, a love that is expressed to us every day and forever. The great news is every day is a come-and-see day with him. Every day is a fresh start and a new beginning. We get to walk with him, learn from him, and become more and more like him. And he wants nothing more than that from us and to love him. Thank you for allowing me to share a little bit about what's on my mind these days. I'm convinced the come and see life is the best possible life we can aspire to. And it's my heart's desire by God's marvelous grace to live this way each day. But just as it was for Jesus and the disciples, there will be a greater joy in it if we do it together. We won't do it perfectly. 
Neither did the disciples. But like them, we can learn and grow and laugh and stumble along the path, knowing that as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, he will transform us into the very people he created us to be. And at the end of our lives, when the day finally comes for us to step through that veil into our eternal home, I can imagine Jesus there, his hand outstretched, a delighted, broad grin spreading across his face as he says, you're here. Now come and see. Let's pray. Precious Lord, especially in uncertain and disconcerting times, we welcome your invitation to an exceptional life with you. Guide and guard our hearts and minds and help us remain focused on your infinite love and care for us. We don't know what each day will bring, but you do. We can experience true peace as we trust your wisdom and sovereignty. Teach us to lean into you, to hold tightly to you, and to surrender our very lives to you as we seek the adventure of your come and see life. Amen. So now may you go out with God's comfort and love and hope, and may the love and grace of God be with you. And also with you. Have a glorious come and see week. Thank you.